0: Where are you cowboys and cowgirls at? Hey everybody, this is Dan Hillenbrand and welcome to Modern Cowboy, the podcast for the cowboy lifestyles and businesses around the world. I'm glad you're here, so sit back in your saddle and prepare to be inspired, motivated, educated, and entertained as I interview a new guest each week that embodies the Modern cowboy.
1: And riders on the wind I got a restless spirit burning deep inside of me I ain't got much, but I'm free I've always been one to do it my own way I'm making my living between the saddle and the stage I don't know nobody, nothing Everything I got's my own Some say I'm just a man to the bone. I'm a cowboy, yes, I am. I was born to rope and ride. I'm a cowboy, that's my brain. I was here the day I die. Hey, everybody,
0: welcome to the Modern Cowboy Podcast. Uh, Super excited to have my guest on today. I learned about Ben from a film that he did, and when it came out, it's it's one of those films that just captured my attention immediately. And I believe it would probably be a fantasy for just about anyone that's grown up with the the dream of being a being a cowboy. Ben Masters did a basically a documentary type film called Unbranded, and uh, we're super excited to have him on the podcast today. And he's going to share with us about unbranded and how that developed and came about and then about uh, himself as well so ben welcome to the modern cowboy podcast
2: i appreciate it thanks for uh thanks for having me dan
0: yeah yeah hey so uh, like i was saying the minute i saw the, the the film was coming out and what you guys were doing you know i was just so thrilled and just i just thought man this would be such a cool thing to do Particularly when you're young, Cause so i I was thinking about it, and then when I watched it, I go, man, that's at my age I don't know if i I, I could even <laughs> make it through that that trip, but just take us back and tell us you know how this idea came about in in and, and what what got you started on this journey
2: Sure. um yeah, that's a long story, but I guess it so, so first off, just in case somebody doesn't have any idea of what we're talking about, um, Unbranded was a film that we made in 2013. Uh, I had the incredible good fortune of getting to go on a 3,000-mile pack trip from Mexico to Canada through Arizona, Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana. It took about five and a half months, um, and we 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 made a film and it called on branded and, uh, it was directed by a guy named Phil Baraboo up in Bozin, Montana. And I was involved in the film in the sense that like, I kind of helped it get started, but I was one of the people that did, did the ride. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess how it all got started. That was, that was actually the second time that I had done that trip really that was in 20 yeah um in 2010 i did a, a, a very similar journey where we rode um through new mexico colorado wyoming in montana so a little bit different route but i was 21 or i guess i turned 21 on that trip and That was the the inspiration of of unbranded of doing it again and 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 making a film. But yeah, that was the second time I've done that. I'd love to do it a third time. There's nothing better than just (laughs) taking off in the mountains for months on end. I freaking loved it. So Um, the first time
0: you did it though, did you guys move a herd of horses as well? Same like with the film?
2: Um, well, we we did. I mean, we were just a bunch of Broke twenty-year-olds, and then just had this dream. I, I like you mentioned earlier that I think a lot of people have of just kind of going on a self-exploration journey and taking off into the hills and kind of seeing what you're made of. And I was fairly new to horses. I got got into horses when I was 18, working on a ranch in Colorado, and there was surrounded by by public lands. Mm-hmm. And uh, on our off days, we would take horses and do little miniature pack trips. and it was while I was working there with a guy named Mike Peatney, We were looking at a bunch of maps and kind of piecing together different forest service areas and national parks and BLM land. And we kind of put this idea of, you know, we should take a month off and ride all the way across Colorado. Right, and then while we started planning that, it turned into well, we might as well just tack on New Mexico, Wyoming, and Montana too, and just go across the whole the whole thing. So that's uh, that's what we did, um, but we didn't. We were kind of at that stage in life where money was pretty hard to come by, right. and uh, we learned about these wild horses, these mustangs that are. On uh, public lands in the American West, and we ended up adopting some. Uh, so it was Mike Peatney and another, another guy named Parker Flannery, and uh, we were all we were all twenty, and we adopted some Mustangs and bought a few Quarter Horses as well. Um, this was kind of a mixed herd, mm-hmm. and did a, a five-month pack trip, and it was. I mean, it it just completely changed my life. I don't know how else to put it. I think it was one of the most impactful things that I've ever done and and ever, ever will do.
3: Yeah.
2: And, um, I'm so glad that I did it. I'm so glad that I did it and it gave me a tremendous appreciation for the Mustangs. Right. Um, you know, I'll be honest. The reason why we, why we first adopted Mustangs was because we, they're, they're free pretty much. Right. And, um, But, I mean, it it made me a lifelong Mustang fan. I mean, I I don't have vet bills. They're super low maintenance. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, they're just phenomenal mountain horses, which is what we were using them for. So, that was awesome.
0: Yeah. So, that was the first time you guys went in 2010. And how many of you went?
2: There was three of us on that trip. Okay.
0: Did you guys do any video or any any documenting of it or was it…
2: No, it was glorious. There was no cameraman. <laughs> there was no pressure
3: right
0: there
2: was it was just strictly a five month uh kind of a soul searching journey yeah. that uh we went on and yeah, it was just a glorious experience in its simplicity and this is this year is actually uh the ten year anniversary for that, and yeah. it's kind of interesting reflecting upon it, but I wouldn't trade that experience for, for anything.
0: That's amazing. And so then you did that, that inspired you guys to do Unbranded. Then were you planning for this to be like a a documentary or did somebody approach you that you said you had, you know, the the director that direct and stuff. How'd that end up coming about?
2: Yeah. So after we did the, that first trip in 2010, um, we finished it and kind of reflected back on what we did. And, and a lady named Kate Bradley from Western Horseman, um, she heard about what about the ride we had done, and, and she ended up writing a piece for the Western Horseman magazine, mm-hmm. uh, which was a tremendous honor, and uh, got a lot of really good response from the readership and people were saying, you know, we'd love to, to know more. We'd love to have seen it. And it kind of just got the idea of formulating of, you know, if we did that journey again, and if we did film it, uh, would people watch it? And then, you know, how could we showcase this, um, this issue of wild horse management in the American West? and also inspire adoptions through the film. Um, So I tossed the idea that a guy by the name of Phil Baraboo and Bozeman, he loved it. And we just decided to do another long ride, train some more horses and just show that whole process and make a film that uh, one just showcases off the beauty of the American West and our public lands. Mm -hmm. And also Tries to inspire some wild horse adoptions. He was all on board. And I'll be very honest with you, I had no idea <laughs> that Phil was going to make such a good film. Like, I thought we were going to kind of make somewhat of a home video to some extent, like a good home video. But I remember watching <laughs> some of the first rough cuts and just being blown away, like the amount of character development. I didn't realize I was going to be such a like a character in it right and and yeah i mean he made an amazing movie it's it's been a real honor to have been a part of it and really proud to see all the horses that we got adopted through that film too
0: yeah well you know that's interesting you bring that up because that's one of the things i think that the made the film just so appealing and and such a compelling film, too, is is the, the characters that you guys, each one of you embodied, you know, um, and just watching that. And, and there's there, I have all kinds of questions and we'll get to some of them about, you know, you guys' relationships and stuff. But that was a, a, a great, great part of it. Now, talking about getting the film started, you guys, I just I, I think I read somewhere that you guys uh did a Kickstarter to get it to help fund the film. Is that is that correct or?
2: Yes, we did. So we had this idea to make a movie, but we didn't have any money. So there's a website called Kickstarter where you toss out an idea and make a little promotional video and see if the public wants it. And we had, we had a hundred, we had 1,200 people that donated to, to to launch this idea, and you know, for example, they could give twenty five dollars
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um, that and, and then in return, they got a DVD whenever it was done, or we had these right. different like little financial incentives, so it was kind right. of the make a video on demand right but I think also people just wanted to see our 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 dream come to life right. and you know how how cool is that that there was over a thousand people that you know helped helped our dream come to life and i mm-hmm. I, I think about that often and there's yeah i just think it's amazing I'm, I'm, i don't even know how to describe the gratitude towards that other than just to say there's a lot of really good human beings out there that, that'll help a stranger and okay. um yeah it allowed us to make the movie
0: yeah that's awesome you guys how how long did you guys prep beforehand and, and like you said you guys did the first ride there's no cameras and no pressure how was it in terms of like how much directing was involved did you guys reshoot things or did you keep it all pretty much just raw and in just real at the time uh, how, how'd that work when you guys were on the trail for so long
2: yeah it's, it's definitely raw there <laughs> there wasn't any um it was actually kind of funny because phil the director of the film and then Corey, the main shooter Mm -hmm. they would like ask us to do things and if we tried to act it was (laughs) very quite obvious that it you know just fumbling over words and they they got frustrated and finally just realized like just let things play out but also phil and Corey, they're some of the best documentary filmmakers in in my opinion in, in the in the world right and um like they do a lot of action, a lot of, uh, sports, uh, some hunting TV. They're really, really accomplished at just capturing moments as they unfold. And I didn't really recognize how talented they were at the time because I was new to film production. But now that I've done, uh, more films, I can look back on hindsight and just be amazed at how, how well covered uh they they how good the coverage was on all on all the scenes, but yeah, we just were ourselves, and uh Phil and Corey, you know once or twice a day they would ask if they could ride ahead or walk ahead and set up a camera shot and get a big right. fast landscape, mm. but those guys not only did a five and a half month pack trip, they also did it running up and down hills, lab micing people up, right. um, getting the shot, dumping media, charging batteries, like they did the whole thing plus filming it, which was a huge job. Right. And and they nailed it. And they never and they never they were not horsemen at the beginning. <laughs> really? But by the end they were they're good now. <laughs> <laughs> well like
0: you'd say though the the film really it really was epic for anybody that uh i mean basically for anybody not just somebody who wanted to be a cowboy i mean it was it was it is just so entertaining your guys characters were amazing let's let's talk about your 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 buddies a little bit are you guys still in contact
3: yeah
2: yeah yeah i mean tom tom in the film he, he's probably one of my best friends right um uh, see him All the time, and then yeah, I keep in contact with Johnny and Ben. Mm -hmm. And
0: uh, there's something that I've always always wondered at the beginning of the film. it you guys were getting horses loaded and stuff. The horses that got into the cactus, and I don't even know who it was because I think he had a, a wild rag up over his face, but he went to pull that cactus off of the horse's nose, and the horse just struck out at him. Uh, who was that? And did that guy get hurt?
2: So that was Ben Thamer and miraculously he did not get hurt and i've looked at that clip so many times i don't know how in the world he didn't break his face apart yeah but it broke his glasses and it was a nice pair of glasses too i think they were Costa del mars he was bummed about that (laughs) um but no it it, yeah it's a miracle it didn't catch him yeah. Um, a little bit off because it could have easily broken a nose or, or or worse. But yeah, that was a bad deal.
0: And then uh, who who was who was the guy on on the horse in the back? Because once that horse, uh, I think that horse started bucking a little bit, and then, uh, the other guy in the back, his horse started bucking. He got bucked off. I'm just I don't remember who that was though. But I did, was. A, I just remember watching that and going, "Man, what a way to start this trip!" Because I, I believe it was right at the beginning, right when you guys were getting <laughs> ready to start. Right,
2: and I go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was johnny he actually rode the buck out of that horse pretty good he had <laughs> him you know three or four good leaps for team. Right. <laughs> right uh but yeah that was that was a very strong introduction to arizona cholla cactus <laughs> Yeah, that is some gnarly stuff yeah yeah so, the, the other like, well, I'm from Texas, and I thought we had bad cactus, but compared to Arizona cholla, ours are a bunch of pillows.
0: Yeah, that 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 Arizona stuff it'll it'll run you down. <laughs> it'll chase you.
2: Yeah, I don't wish that upon anybody.
0: Some of the some of the country you guys rode through too, and and the stuff up uh, by the Grand Canyon, and some of those trails. I mean, what was that like? I mean, I've I've never ridden on anything with the, those type of ledges and and things, and especially you guys were on on mustangs that you guys had. Would they had thirty days on them or sixty days when you guys got them? Then you guys had them another ninety days or something.
3: Yeah,
2: you know the horses they don't want to fall off cliff.
3: Right. It, it,
2: and, and I, I think one of the most admirable traits about Mustangs for riding horses is that all those animals, they're born in the wild. Mm-hmm. They grow up in the wild. They spend years in the wild. So walking on little tiny game paths. hmm and going up and down washes and going along cliffs and traveling through mud and across springs and different challenges that people have difficulty with whenever they have a horse that was raised in a small pasture or a stall. Right. Those are those are things that those Mustangs have seen from day one of their life.
3: Right.
2: So – they're remarkably sure-footed in the mountains Mm. and yeah we had some pretty gnarly trail Uh, there was only a a few times though where I was seriously concerned about the horses not being able to get across safely and almost every single one of those times was due to Uh, a a human error of some kind or could be traced back to to human error or or making a bad call on the logistics. And um, you know, that's tough like to make a decision on a route that could imperil an animal that is putting its full trust in you. That was the biggest responsibility that we had on a daily basis was finding a path that wouldn't put our animals in, um, undue harm. And, and, and we failed. I mean, we had that scene. Um,
0: Oh, when you guys were going up that hill, you know, in, when uh, in the, it, the it
2: dinosaur was, falls, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. It's awful. So it's now was not our horse. Like right. we didn't have, we didn't have the full, ability to tell that story but that was just the guy who was riding with us for the day right um guy named heath weber uh he took his horse that wasn't in good wasn't in good mountain shape and uh he couldn't keep up with ours and we came across that bad cliff and his horse fell off fell off the cliff and uh luckily you know didn't die right but <laughs> Kind of funny story about that. So dinosaur falls off the cliff or his name wasn't dinosaur at the time. <laughs> uh, but he, It's not funny. It's terrible. He falls off the cliff, but it was completely unscathed, which is just amazing. I mean, he right. took a full two tumbles right, <laughs> and then just stands up and, and starts eating grass. And nice. we were all just amazed. We thought this horse was going to die. He just stands up, starts eating grass. We go down there and look at him and he's got like a little scratch, but, but nothing nothing wrong with him at all. And um we get him over the, the troubled area and we get to the to our campsite that night, we start building this nice fire and looking back on the dud, talking about how fortunate it is that the dinosaur didn't get hurt, and sure enough, here comes this horse out of the shadows. And he walks over and sticks his head in the fire and sniffs the coals. And his mane catches on fire. And he's just sitting there trying to figure out what in the world is going on. His eyes like bulge out in fear. And he lifts his head up real quick and just goes running off into the woods. No. (laughs) And and he looks at me and he says, Ben... I'd like to sell you that horse. (laughs) Oh man. So so we we decided to name him the dinosaur. He should be extinct. He falls off cliffs and sticks his head in the fire. Oh Uh, my god. But he's he's a character. I still have him to this day. He's he's a great horse. No (laughs) he's just quirky.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Modern Cowboy Performance Nutrition, the brand built on grit, determination, and perseverance. Modern Cowboy products are designed to increase stamina and strength, build lean muscle mass, and promote healing and pain relief. For more information and to order products, visit our website, moderncowboy.global, and use our podcast listener special code, moderncowboy15, at checkout for 15% off all of our products and apparel. So, so like you, don't, you didn't get into horses until 18. So, and then the Mustang thing came out of uh, just like kind of a necessity, trying to get some inexpensive horses to do this first ride. But then you, throughout this whole process, just developed a a, a love and a, and a, just a a passion for the the wild horses of the West, and and uh, and it's it's it, it's obviously changed your life.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I have seven of them right now, and they're great horses.
0: And in now um, the, we've got we've got wild horses in in a lot of different states. But the biggest population of them is is it in is it in Nevada? Am, am, am I correct? Or
2: that's correct? Yeah, about sixty percent of the wild horses um, are in Nevada.
0: And what, what's the what's the total number that is estimated now that? That are in the wild they
2: believe that so so one of the things that that happened after a, unbranded is i was nominated to sit on the bureau of land management's wild horse and burrow advisory board mm-hmm. where i had the honor of sitting as the wildlife management chair because that's my passion in, in in life is wildlife that's what i studied in college that's Okay, that's my profession, and um, I had the, the the honor of representing the interests of of native wildlife on the thirty one point two million acres of public land where our wild horses live, mm-hmm. and it, it's such a hard issue, um, because I you know I love I love the horses and. I love native wildlife and good land management and soil and springs and native grasses. And it's just difficult. But right now, they estimate that there's um, nearly 100,000 horses on BLM and Forest Service land underneath the Wild Horse and Burrow Act. Right. Now, that 100,000 horses is supposed to be 26,500 horses. So they're over three times, almost four times over the target population size. Right, And that does not include horses that are on public lands or even on private lands and especially on Indian reservation land mm-hmm. that aren't under the... Wild Horse and Bro Act. So nobody truly knows how many there are, but the best guess is um, about 100,000 in the area where wild horses are designated to exist. And they they, they fall under a really interesting category. Um, Whenever you look at wildlife, like a deer or an elk, Mm -hmm. those are owned by the public trust and they're managed by the state. Right. So, you know, Arizona Game and Fish, they put a cap on, you know, how many elk, or they have a target population size in a specific unit. And then, um, you know, the federal government, they manage endangered species, they manage the migratory waterfowl, and then you have the wild horses. It's not a wildlife, it's not an endangered species, it's not livestock, it has like this really um unique classification of being managed by the Bureau of Land Management and in my opinion they have done a piss poor job of managing wild horses in the 50 years that they've you know had to do that and yeah. it's just really really sad to see the wild horses be uh get so i mean the the, the whole program is so far from sustainable Right. It's just awful and nobody has any plan at all whatsoever to get it onto a sustainable path. And the, at the end of the day, the, the thing that's going to suffer is the landscapes that those horses rely on because right. they're so overpopulated and right. eventually the horses themselves, because they're going to run out of resources to support them. And, and that's already happening. Right. And it's, it's a no end situation. and,
0: and, and and no nobody nobody is uh is is proposed any type of plan or anything that's that's feasible in in terms of trying to manage it and i'm sure that there's groups from all different spectrums that are that have opposing opinions on what they should do and, and i'm sure there's a battle there uh what do you what do you think what do you think the solution is or do you know do you even have an idea what do you think
2: i i i do i mean I made a very, very unpopular decision whenever I was sitting on the Walt Horse and Borough Advisory Board uh, in, in favor of a lethal management option of right. euthanasia. Right. I don't like the idea of these excess horses being sold to the highest bidder and then winding up in a Mexican slaughterhouse.
3: Right. I
2: don't like that at all. But the alternative is these horses... All right, so so just to back up a little bit, the Bureau of Lane Management is mandated to – so in 1971, whenever the Wild Horse and Burrow Act was passed,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it unanimously passed Congress, which is amazing, and they put the horses into different herd management areas. I believe there's 271. Okay. And in these herd management areas, they were X amount of acres. And the rangeland biologists said, we believe that there can be 100 horses in this particular herd management area based upon the available forage and also based upon the livestock permittees and the needs of wildlife.
3: Right.
2: And then whenever the horses got above that 100 mark, which they call the appropriate management level, the bureau of lane management is supposed to go in round up those excess horses so that they don't um, overgraze that that particular area right and that that happened through the night or through the 70s through the 80s into the 90s and then in the early 2000s they, the horse market got incredibly oversaturated, um, mainly because there was a shift in policy that mm-hmm. didn't allow for the domestic horse slaughter to continue.
3: Right.
2: And, and the horse market got super saturated, and the demand for people adopting wild horses went from 8,000 a year down to 2,000 a year. So all of a sudden, the adoption demand plummeted and the federal government didn't have any place to put these horses. So they began putting them in feed yards. Mm-hmm. And the feed yards began to get expensive. They, they were just stockpiling thousands and thousands of wild horses in these feed yards. And then they started leasing out pasture to just put these unwanted horses for the rest of their lives. Right. So that has happened To where we are today, where we have nearly fifty thousand wild horses that have been rounded up for population control and are now living in feedlots and in leased pasture with very little chance of ever being adopted, where they're just going to sit there for the rest of their lives in a completely non-wild state. So, like, I hate the idea of euthanizing horses. I've adopted seven of them. I love them. I would really wish that many of the advocacy groups would put their money where their mouth is and start adopting horses rather than just bitching about the problem. Right. But it's either that or they're going to be locked up in a feed yard for the rest of their lives. Right. Like it's, it's just terrible. So, you know, for me, I would, I would love to see the horses get adopted, but for the horses that can't be adopted, Mm-hmm. I'd like to see a program put into place where the animals could be um you know put down in as humane manner as possible and have have that meat have that resource be given to dog and cat food shelters or to zoos. Right. And yeah, it's it's just a sad sad thing and and then you know they're spending all of this money on keeping these horses in, in the feedlots and in the long-term holding facility. They've run out of budget yeah, and now they're just letting the horses in the wild get so overpopulated that in my opinion, there's just like the whole thing is so unsustainable that it's just kind of gone. yeah. And we're going to be in a situation like Australia that has every few years, massive die offs of horses and camels because they've given up on management. And that makes me really, really sad. Right.
0: Well, yeah, and it's it's just like you say, I mean, it's with all wildlife in game. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is that, uh, you know, loss of habitat is the biggest threat to them all. And uh, and that's why they, you know, we have to manage them through all of our hunting programs and everything else. And uh, it just sounds to me like the, uh, the wild horse population. They just, they haven't been able to put anything together that's, that works.
2: Yeah, they haven't. They they honestly haven't. And it's political suicide. I mean, anybody that tries to propose real solutions Mm -hmm. uh, because the general public is so ignorant of the complexity and history of the issue and of rangeland management 101. They get lambasted from different animal rights organizations, some of them well-intentioned, Right. Others I, I think are just using the wild horses as a tool for them to raise funds. Right. And um yeah, it's just it's 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 really sad and like I hate to say it, but I don't even know if a big starvation event will put it onto a sustainable path. Right. Like if you look back last year. There was that group of, I think it was 230 horses mm-hmm. that died in a water hole on the Navajo reservation.
3: Right.
2: Like, we know what's going to happen if horses overpopulate right. and there's no management mm-hmm. at all whatsoever. Why in the world would we choose to do that to our public lands Like it, and, and to the horses? It's just, it's so dumb.
0: Well, it's like it's many, so
2: irresponsible.
0: Yeah, it's like many things in, in government and politics, so uh, that us common people out here look at and go, we can't believe that they're doing that.
2: <laughs> yeah, and one of the really unfortunate things about many decisions made on on our on our public lands is that they're not the management isn't being led by best available data coming from the rangeland biologists and the scientists who are right. out there studying soil and taking vegetation samples. Right. A lot of those decisions are being made in the courts. Right. And, um, the, Yeah. It's just, it's, 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 it really makes me sad and yeah, I, I, I hate it. I hate it so much. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I don't think it's gonna be pretty. Yeah. I mean you have areas that are ten times over the appropriate management level for horses. And uh I mean the, the, the vegetation composition transitions from a very diverse desert ecosystem with different sagebrushes and cactuses and grasses and perennial grasses into oftentimes a uh, monoculture of invasive species like medusa head or cheatgrass. And it's just, it's just not good to to, to do that. Yeah. 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 it's, It's really bad. So I don't know. You should adopt one. How many of you adopted?
0: Yeah, you have put me put me around on the spot. Right, right now. Um, Yeah, that's a good question. I'm I'm probably gonna have to come to you to get trained.
2: On come on, a, on buddy. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. get you get get you two of them and a donkey.
3: Okay.
2: All <laughs> the cart. Okay.
0: We'll work on that. We will definitely work on that. Um. So so now you you mentioned that you you went to school uh and you you actually have a degree in in um, in, in land management did you say? That's I studied things.
2: range and in, and in, in wildlife, yeah. Okay. Wildlife biology. Yeah. And
0: so so now you've done other films too um or, or uh, uh, at least one other film since uh Unbranded
2: I have. Yeah. Unbranded was was good to me. It opened up a lot of different opportunities. Right. And um, one of the biggest challenges that, that I see with wildlife management and rangeland management is communication from the different research institutes and the different NGOs and organizations that are working on really important topics. For example, wild horse management that are complex and uh, so I, I, I've got a company Fin and Fur Films. Our bread and butter is making five to eight minute short films uh-huh. for different research projects and, and different organizations. Uh, for example, we did one for Borderlands Research Institute where we followed some of their cat biologists uh, catching mountain lions, collaring them, and then we made a film called Lions of West Texas that just is a glimpse into the lifestyle of these super secretive cats, what they eat, how big their dispersal is, what their mortality is like, what their – just, just how badass they are. Right. Um, we did one for the Wildlife Society on Wild Horse and Burrow Management. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called. And, and i i would I would highly suggest watching it if you're if you're interested in the wild horse wildlife mixture and how that how that works on public lands it's called horse ridge dirt poor okay. uh did one on the river we did one on the border fence um similar to unbranded where it was kind of a journey along the u s mexico border. We spent a few months traveling along the border looking into different immigration issues um well, not really immigration as much as the 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 impact to wildlife right that a physical border fence would have
3: right. and
2: that's called the river and the wall if you like unbranded i think you'll you'll like the river and the wall a lot if you haven't watched it um and yeah now we're doing some some wildlife stuff we're filming ocelots and black bears, and a few other really cool animals down in Texas this year. So, yeah, I had the good fortune to be able to, to live my dream, man. Life's been good to me. Yeah, that's great. I'm very grateful.
1: For years, FSR Cattle Company has been known for their premium roping cattle, used and endorsed by multiple world champions and NFR qualifiers. But did you know that FSR is also the home of quality rope horses for all levels, from professional team roping to the novice level? A trip to Weatherford, Texas and to the FSR headquarters will give you a variety of horses to choose from. FSR Cattle Company will arrange transport for your new horse back home and a free ride back to the airport for you. For your convenience, we accept credit cards for all horses found at FSR. We strongly believe in matching team ropers with horses they can work and win with. So when you back in the box on a horse you found at FSR Cattle Company, you know you're mounted to win visit us online at fsrcattlecompany.com or in the office at 817-598-1222 and let us help find your next winner again that's fsrcattlecompany.com
0: did, did, uh, when you were in college did you have any idea or inclination that you would uh be doing this with uh at this in in doing the films and doing everything you're doing
2: no <laughs> i think like most people whenever they're 20 years old i mean obviously i went and rode a horse for five months you think a guy who does that has any idea what he wants to do with his life <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh that's funny
0: well you were just destined to do it that's all
2: I just did it. Yeah. I mean, everybody should. You should quit your job and go ride a horse for five months. You get done, well, you won't regret it. I promise.
0: No, yeah, I, I I believe that, and and that that just may happen. That that I don't know five months, but
2: uh, I know I got your phone. One to- of the very interesting <laughs> one one of the interesting things that I've noticed with people who do long distance hikes or long distance rides, or even just does something kind of off the cuff, like right. go to Alaska to work a guiding season in a lodge somewhere for four months or something like that. But whenever you have those like little ideas of what you really, really, really want to do correct, and then you act on them, yep. even though it doesn't make any financial sense, right. even though people may look at you like you're crazy. I don't know anybody who's ever done one of those things and regretted it. Yeah. But I know a lot of people who really wish they took five months off to go ride a horse. Yeah. So I don't know about your excuses, Dan, but they're getting lamer and lamer.
0: <laughs> I, I like how you're holding me accountable here, man. <laughs> yeah.
2: When yeah. are you so when are you gonna go when are you gonna go adopt a Mustang?
0: Man, you you're really putting me on the spot now. Well I'm I'm the only way I'm gonna do it is I'm gonna do it with you, so that's that's how it's gonna happen, you, you know, because you're gonna you're gonna help me pick out you know the ideal one that's gonna fit me. So, that all right, I'll
2: help you out. Okay,
0: see, and I'm gonna hold you accountable on it too. So then we're gonna go on a ride together and film it.
2: <laughs> ain't, ain't scared of a good time. No, that's awesome.
0: Now you do you live in Texas now? Is that where you're at, Ben? I do. What what part of Texas are you in?
2: Hill country. Hill country. I'm in Austin.
0: Oh, you are. Okay. Now, do you work, uh, I mean, basically full-time on your films and on your research and, and is that what you do? You, do you have a, any other job outside of it? Do you do any other freelance stuff or any writing? Yeah. With... I mean,
2: I, I, free, I freelance, I do, uh, a few pack trips every year, probably three or four pack trips. In the past few years, I've been volunteering for an organization called Heroes and Horses a little bit every summer. And then leading some pack trips up in Yellowstone country. Um try to take off two weeks to go bow hunt Elk every year in the mountains.
3: Nice.
2: But um but yeah, for the most part, I mean what, what I do for a for a living is is operate a camera and, and make films about wildlife stories. And we we focus right now we're doing a lot of stuff in Texas, um mm-hmm. simply because there's lots of opportunity to do good for conservation in Texas
3: right
2: but uh we do we do quite a bit in the American West as well very cool so now when you were a kid growing up you
0: you didn't ride horses were you involved in you know western lifestyle or culture at all or
2: just yeah uh, we, i mean i grew up in Amarillo oh, okay and yeah you know, I I was definitely exposed to horses as a kid and got to ride a few times, but I never had my own horses. I never, um, didn't have the good fortune of having that opportunity to, to learn how to ride. And, um, but I always loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I I got a job offer in Colorado. And, um, Took it and they had horses and I got to learn how to ride and it was, it was awesome. Been doing it since. Yeah,
0: I always ask everybody, um if they have a, uh, you have a favorite brand of cowboy hats that you wear or you like.
2: Uh, I mean, I've got a Stetson that I like. Okay. I need to get it replaced though. It's, uh, it's not no longer same. a dress hat. It's,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same one you had in
2: unbranded is it? No, I got a dog, and freaking dog chewed that hat up. Very, very unhappy about it.
3: Oh, the
0: one from the movie?
2: Yeah, yeah, it was a sad day. Yeah.
0: How about boots? You got a favorite brand of boots, or
2: I'm still searching. Right. I'm still searching for my favorite boots. I, I have to say, I I have not found my my favorite boot. I, I have to say right now, though that uh Ticovas. Oh yeah. I don't yeah. know if you're familiar with that but that's, there's a uh, yes. the company. Yeah, they're based in Austin and I've had a pair for a bit and had it resold a few times and yeah. um it's a good boot Yeah, they make they make good boots.
0: Yeah, and and I know they just opened up some of their their new uh like retail uh, stores too, which are, which are I haven't been to one but but they look pretty cool.
2: Yeah, I mean they hold up and uh you can get them wet and Covered in crap and beat them up and get them resold and keep going and I don't know what more you can ask out of a boot.
0: Absolutely. Now, besides your own movies, uh favorite you have a favorite uh, cowboy movie or favorite western movie?
2: Ooh. I love Dances with Wolves. Yeah. I, I, I just love it. I thought the soundtrack for that was mm-hmm. possibly the best musical score in the world. And I think it did a good job of uh, showcasing some of the nuances of Western expansion and, um, you know, Native American and European interaction. And there was no good guy. There was no bad guy. Right. And uh, well, except for the dude that wipes his butt with his journal. That, right. that That's a bad guy. Right. But uh, I thought it, I thought it did a good job. I just loved that movie a lot.
3: Yeah,
0: and and I I've, I've read and and I've heard that Kevin Costner did a lot of his own writing in that, even like in the buffalo scenes when he was like. <clears right. throat> Have you
2: heard that or no? I, I haven't. No, no, I haven't. Uh, yeah, I would love to see more bison out there. But they're what are you, talk about a cool animal yeah that's the craziest thing about the horses is people, there's like this argument that there should be a ton of wild horses and there's like no bison on our public lands right. i think it's just so insane that we have a hundred thousand invasive species on our public lands and not a single bison the actual native animal that's supposed to be out there that's crazy
3: right
0: yeah it doesn't make any sense I'm going to ask you if you if you, if you heard of this film because I I actually found out about this film later on. I I'm I'm not sure if it it's popped up on Netflix or wherever I saw it just because it was uh, similar to in a way to your to to your film on brand but Have you did you ever see the movie In Pursuit of Honor with um oh, Don Johnson, that's his name. The military guys back in
2: um that's What's the storyline? I feel this, like I
0: have. Yeah, I remember they, uh, it was a, uh, uh, I, I don't remember the, the exact uh, period of time it was, but it was right when they were uh, transitioning, I think, from having, uh, you know, the cavalry, and horseback soldiers and stuff. And they had all those horses. They had given them orders to take them out and and uh, just shoot them all, basically. And and the guys that, that uh, the stewards of the horses, they just took them and, and uh, ran off with them. That's the that's the the premise of it.
2: Basically, yeah. You know i I have been I have heard about that. I'm gonna watch that tonight. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it tonight because I've had so many people tell me I need to watch it, and I haven't taken the time out of my life <laughs> to do it. But I'm gonna do it today. Well, see, so now
0: I've got you to do something, and and I've said for a long time, I said, man, I would really love to, but I, you know, I'm not any super horseman. I, I mean, I'm I'm not trying. I'm not trying to ever give anybody that idea i mean i can ride i can rope whatever but i'm i'm not like a horseman i i I can get along with them but i've always said i'd love to adopt a mustang it'd be so cool to do it but um uh, now i'm getting you to watch a movie and now you're probably gonna end up getting getting me to adopt a mustang so
2: it's a, this is a good trade here yeah it you is get you a donkey too um <laughs> i will say that adopting a wild horse and and watching it go from a wild animal that's scared of you mm-hmm. into a good mountain horse mm-hmm. over the course of a few years is one of the most rewarding things in in life yeah. and it's something that people who don't train horses will never understand they'll never have that that um, just, just rewarding satisfaction of, of, of seeing an animal seeing a horse turn into a good horse you know they can get on a ride somebody else's good horse but they'll never they'll never see and experience that and uh yeah it just fills me with pride every time I head into the hills and look back all my horses are lined out and doing a great job uh it's really cool yeah Yeah, it's I I highly suggest it
0: very cool well Ben hey man I've I've I really appreciate you coming on and in uh talking with us today and, and just uh I mean, I learned a lot, and i I'm, I'm sure uh, a lot of other people are going to uh, really enjoy listening to what you what you had to say and and obviously your expertise in the field of <clears throat> wild horses and conservation, wildlife management uh it's uh, it's more important today now than ever and, and, and going to continue to with the growth, urban sprawl and everything we have going on we, we've got to be good stewards of the land, and uh, I think you should be commended for for your work and and
2: my hat's off to you, man. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. That means a lot. Thank you.
0: And um, we'll be in touch because, uh, one way or another, I'm probably going to end up uh, with a uh, adopting a horse, and according to you, a donkey as well. So we're gonna we're gonna have
2: to work <laughs> on that. <laughs> why why the heck not? There's lots of donkeys too. No, everybody always forgets about all the donkeys that are up for adoption, but. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I've got a donkey and love her dearly. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: All right, Ben. Hey, well, we'll uh, we'll be in touch, and uh, we'll talk soon.
2: Okay, buddy. Yeah, have Thanks. a good day. Yeah, Adios.
0: Hey, I want to thank all of our listeners and sponsors of the show. Without you, the show would not be possible. We so appreciate the reviews and ratings, which increases awareness in our effort to grow the fan base of the cowboy, rodeo, and Western lifestyle culture. If you are new to the show, or have been a listener for a while and have just not had the opportunity to rate and review the podcast, it's really simple. Just trot your pony over to the iTunes Apple podcast, click on the show, scroll down to rate and review, and give us a five spur rating. The podcast is available on Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher, as well as many other platforms where you listen to podcasts. Just type Modern Cowboy Podcast into the search bar to subscribe, listen, rate, and review. And if you're interested in being a sponsor of the show to showcase your business, DM us on Instagram at Modern Cowboy Podcast or message us on our website, www.moderncowboypodcast.com. Cowboys
4: and cowgirls at. Every Friday afternoon, I hitch up the trailer. Saddle up old rock and ice down a cooler. I drive that old back road until it ends at the rope and pen. We got them rusted out pickups and fancy rigs, $20,000 horses, then there's my own stick. Although we're all the same, the minute we ride in to the rope and pen. I can tell. Someday I just might be. We'll turn a few steers and we'll tell a few lies. Kick back in the saddle and philosophize most of life's problems. Yeah, we're gonna solve them. down at the rope and pain. Yeah, we don't do it for the money Yeah, we're always broke Just ask Clint what he paid a rope Now he's lost a dozen wives Half the fingers on his hands To the rope and pen And it takes a little skill And a little luck If you can talk smack You can back it up Oh, but we're all friends no matter who wins, down at the rope and pin. Well, I ain't no player's, speed, but i give her hell. Hey, you never can tell, someday I just might be. We'll turn another pin of steers, tell a few more lies drink another beer and hypothesize most of life's problems, by God, we're gonna solve them. Down at the and Pen, we'll see y'all again next weekend. Down at the Roman Pen, down at the Roman